Alright, so we are going to listen to two different we're gonna after the aftermath of the fight and I've talked about this a couple times and I talked about how it is absolutely ridiculous how everybody is playing this off like it was a dominant fight for Amanda like this fight was just a one-sided affair and it was just and Amanda dominated from bell to bell which is not true it was a very close fight the scorecards don't reflect the fight it was not a domination because Amanda's face looked fucked up Yes, Juliana was more bloody, but Amanda's face was more swollen. So we're gonna listen to the Weasel, who, of course, he is a he's a Amanda Dick writer. But I have to be fair and listen to some. Of, I have to be fair to to all parties, you know. So here it is. Challenge yourself to the career you want. Challenge? It turns out it kind of was a fluke. Nunes practically beat Pena with a right hook, an outside trip, and a double leg takedown. She also didn't really gas out. She started to get tired in the fifth round, and this pretty much concludes. It proves to us Nunes was not the same in the first one. She was talking about it over and over again. She said she was injured going into it. She was sick, and we know she pulled out with the sickness not too long before that. And with her new gym that she trains at, everything got rehauled when it comes to strategy and all that stuff. Nunes gassed out in the second round of the first Pena fight, which is very uncharacteristic. We usually do not see Nunes start to gas out that early. And and then this one looked really good for five rounds. Another big difference was in the first fight they were trading punches, yet Nunes could not hurt her. In this fight, they traded many times, and Nunes would drop her. Completely different results while trading punches. And this fight was also very taxing. She almost got pointed to armbar, so all the people talking about the Kimura attempt from the first fight, that did not matter whatsoever. It was an attempt that failed. She got a fully locked armbar on her in this one, and still fought the same way for the rest of the fight. So the whole discouragement thing that, you know, Nunes either got scared or too discouraged after a Kimura lock from the first fight, that just turned out to be a very silly thing to come up with. You don't become a champion of the world because you got scared from a failed Kimura attempt. And Amanda Nunes absolutely dominates Juliana Pena for the majority of the fight. There were some scares there. A lot of submission attempts from Pena whenever Nunes got it to the ground. Nunes seemed to want to coast, just keep position on top, land some good elbows in case she needed to, but didn't do anything too crazy to open herself up. But when someone is constantly attacking off of their back, things are going to get through. And Nunes constantly was just pulling out of things with her arms extended, which opened up armbar opportunities. But other than that, man, we had a 50-43 scorecard. I don't know if I agree with that, but definitely a dominant performance overall for Amanda Nunes. She got punched a couple times and stuff like that, and it says that Nunes has three knockdowns in the fight. When she does not have three knockdowns in the fight, in fact, she has five knockdowns in the fight. I don't know how they didn't count the other two when they were clearly punches of Juliana Pena falling down afterward. So she actually has the unofficial record of the most knockdowns in a single fight, spamming the same exact technique over and over again, and Pena just could not get around it. And it was an extremely simple game plan from Nunes that proved to be super efficient. Just go southpaw for boxing exchanges because Pena starts everything off the orthodox jab. So because of the southpaw versus orthodox battle, the jab from each other is going to be a lot harder to land. There's an obstacle in the way, and that is both each other's lead. Nunez's lead hand is going to be an obstacle for Pena's jab, and this is also vice versa. But Nunez never intended to land the jab. 
Pena starts everything off of that jab. It is her best punch. It's the thing that gets her wins and even got her the win in their first fight. So the southpaw stance is naturally going to eliminate an open jab from Pena to land. That means it eliminates all of her startups for her attacks. But regardless, Pena kept throwing the jab and Nunes was always onto it. She was only able to fight in one approach. She didn't really know how to adjust. And all Nunes was trying to do was move away from Pena's assault, maybe sometimes sidestep to her right side to get away from a potential right hand from Pena, but most of the time she slipped her head on the inside and landing the right hook over the shoulder, or pulling away of Pena's overextended flailing punches and blast her in the face when her hands are down. This was happening over and over again, just simply countering Pena's blitz with a right hook. And you know what the crazy thing is? Pena fainted to draw out the first right hook in the whole fight and never took advantage of that read. Ever. What you see from the highest caliber strikers like Piotr Jan, Corey Sanhagen, or Adesanya fainting to draw out shots and capitalize was not seen here at all, even though Pena had the read. Or unless she accidentally drew it out and really didn't engage it at all. It just showed you the discrepancy of the striking ability between the two. Pena is just not nearly as good of a striker. She flails her punches as you saw, quite sloppy motions compared to Nunez's sharper precise punching, <laughs> even countering. Nunez is not always known to be a counter puncher, but she can do everything man. Nunez has all the skills in her toolbox to be a complete fighter. She boxed for the most part but also used her wrestling and Brazilian Jiu Jitsu advantage to completely take control of how the fight was going to play out, but Nunez fell out of her game plan many times. You saw her try and attack on the center line with a straight left, but a great tactic that Nunez had when she would sit on the center line was use her takedowns to her advantage. Maybe not punch with Pena because that's the only way she's getting hit. If I'm going to be on the center line or she catches me on the center line by blitzing forward, I'm going to go under for the takedown. And that worked beautifully. I mean, not the most polished takedowns, not super technical takedowns. A lot of them are actually just overpowering. Juliana Pena forcing her over and tripping her out and throwing her and stuff. There seemed to be a major strength difference between the two. And Pena's really strong herself. But the thing we absolutely have to give Juliana Pena is the ability to take punishment. She is so tough and durable. That was her main commodity in the fight just to keep herself in the fight at all times where most fighters have a problem doing that against Nunez whether it be their chin not being as good like Ronda Rousey or Misha Tate or they just crumble under the power and pressure like Raquel Pennington but Nunez is smart in a way where when she feels that she cannot knock her opponent out easily she always goes to the takedown you saw that against Jermaine Duranemi and Felicia Spencer for different reasons though GDR showed to be more capable on the feet and start to tag Nunez and make her pay for many missed shots and with a longer reach and strike in prowess, Nunez started to feel the fight getting away from her when it came to the striking, so she switched to the takedowns. With Felicia Spencer, it was very similar to this fight, except that Spencer never got knocked down. She was able to zombie her way through every single punch, and then eventually the wrestling would come, and the chin just doesn't matter at that point. Pena didn't necessarily have as good of a chin as Felicia Spencer, but she was much more dangerous off her back, so it ultimately made her a more dangerous fight for Amanda Nunez. So great performance by Amanda Nunez, and good tough effort from Juliana Pena. She definitely surprised me a bit. She performed much better than I expected, but Nunez continues to show why she's seemingly the best fighter in the world. There is an argument that Valentina Shevchenko is the best fighter in the world because she should have won the rematch, and that's the only fight left. Who else is there for Nunez to fight? Eldana, another contender. She says she wants to go up to 145 again. Nunez can close the chapter of her career whenever she wants, but the perfect end to the story, if she can beat Valentina Shevchenko again and silence all the doubters, if she does that, there is literally nothing left for her to do. Okay, that is horseshit. 
Her striking, Amanda's striking is not that good. She can't do everything. She can't make adjustments. She was actually fatiguing before the fifth round. But the weasel is a big dick rider when it comes to certain fighters. And this is just a perfect example. It was pretty clear that he was not paying attention to anything that Juliana was doing. He was clearly paying attention only to what Amanda was doing. Amanda Nunes, when the fight isn't going her way, when she begins to fatigue or sense frustration, she does things. She she begins to do things. She does drastic things. This is evident in the Jermaine Durandame fight when she brought it up. It wasn't because Jermaine was getting the better of the striking. It was because she was fatiguing. Her power wasn't, you know, the fight wasn't going the way that, you know, she wasn't able to finish Jermaine. She didn't know any other way to beat her. So she started driving for takedowns. Just She started diving for takedowns just for the sake of diving for takedowns with the hopes that something will work. And once again, she was beginning to fatigue physically, which was also a reason why she did it. When Amanda experiences frustration or gets physically fatigued, you know, she does drastic things like diving for takedowns, like we saw in the Jermaine Durandamy fight, as was as he mentioned. You know, the Felicia Spencer fight, she just did that. She, of course, once again, Felicia Spencer, you know, she... Mm, she didn't do that. The I mean the Felicia Spencer fight, I think I don't think she did that out of frustration. She just did that just because, you know, why not? I'm winning the fight. But the Jermaine Durandame fight once again, she did not do that because Jermaine was beating her on the feet. She did that out of she did that out of pretty much out of um then I just she did that out of she she didn't do that because of she she didn't do that because Jermaine was beating her on the feet. She did that out of frustration. She couldn't finish Jermaine. She was getting tired. Her mind she was getting frustrated that she couldn't knock her out. So she started diving for takedowns because the fight wasn't going the way she wanted to. So she started diving for takedowns to pretty much stall the fight, catch her breath, and all that good shit. Remember it. Remember, all right. She she was just diving. All right. That's what happened. She wasn't diving for takedowns for tactical reasons. She was diving for takedowns because of frustration and fatigue. And this was the same thing that happened in this fight. You know, Amanda was knocking her down. But you have to remember, Amanda, Amanda is a counterpuncher. I don't know why Amanda cannot do it all. OK, Amanda is a counterpuncher. She thrives off of her opponent's reactions. That's why she she's very quick to jump. And she's that's one of the reasons why she's very quick to jump and put pressure to get a reaction out of you. All right. That's the reason. That's the reason why Amanda thrives off the counterpunch. She can't attack you full blown unless you're a Ronda Rousey and you have dog shit striking. You know, unless you're like a Ronda Rousey and you have dog shit striking, she never attacks her opponents right away. She never attacks her opponents right out from the gate. She tries to draw in a counter. She tries to she tries to always make she always tries to draw in to you know hit them with a counter. All right, and and that's 
yeah, she she always tries to look for the counter. You know that that was evident in her fight with Valentina. Um, she she you know she and that was her evident that was evident in her fight with Valentina, especially in the second one, not the first one. She was trying to draw out the counter, and she wasn't really able to land anything throughout all five rounds or anything significant because she was trying to draw out the counter for Valentina. She was trying to draw out the counter. She was trying to draw Valentina out so she can counter her, but she, but Valentina wasn't taking the bait. So yes, Amanda is a counter puncher. It's very evident. You don't believe it? Watch the Chris Cyborg fight. That was because of a counter punch. You know, that was because of a counter punch. So, um, same thing, Holly Holm counter shot. So no, Amanda cannot do it all in turn in the ways that he's describing. She was fatiguing. You know, for third, you know, it was very, it started to become, it was becoming evident in that third round. It was, it was starting to become evident going, going for, it started to become evident in the third round and started to really become noticeable in the fourth and the fifth. But she didn't, but she did not just suddenly, but it did, but she did not just suddenly get tired in the fifth. She was getting tired long before the fifth round. That, that's an asinine statement. Um, also, the reason why Julian was getting caught was because Juliana was making tactical errors. That's what it was. I mean, she was making tactical errors. You know, it wasn't, once again, man, Amanda thrives off the counterpunch. And, you know, Juliana was making the mistake of, you know, going in, of stepping, you know, of... And Juliana was making the mistake of overextending. That was one of the reasons why she kept getting taken down was because she overextended herself on the feet, you know, which, you know, of course, allowed Amanda to die for the takedown and and save her ass from getting beat up. Because in the later rounds, in the fourth and fifth round, it was pretty clear that Amanda, you know, in the fourth and fifth round, it was pretty clear that, you know, Amanda didn't have the energy to fight on the stand-up it was pretty clear that Amanda was gassed and had no energy to stand up you know which is why and she knocked Juliana down multiple times but you know couldn't finish her couldn't knock her out completely like she could like I said the only time Amanda goes to the ground is when she knows her opponent is severely hurt or if she's fatiguing whether if or if she the only time she goes to the ground is when she knows her opponent is really hurt or is mentally or physically fatiguing and we saw that in both times she didn't go you know she knocked Juliana down but didn't go to the ground because Juliana was still was still conscious despite being knocked down um and then and then later on she started going to the ground even though Juliana was even even though Juliana was getting close kept catching her in submissions you know, even though Juliana kept catching her in some, into some, even though Juliana kept catching her in submissions, she continued to go to the ground despite that. This is what happened in Jermaine in the Jermaine Durandame fight, where despite Jermaine almost catching her in a triangle, catching her in a triangle and mounting her, she still or the possibility of getting caught in a standing guillotine or getting caught with a knee, she she continued to dive for the takedown. Well, why'd she do it? Well, she was getting tired and she was getting frustrated she couldn't knock her out and she didn't know what else to do and she was starting to fatigue so she did a drastic thing which was die for the takedown and of course we saw what happened i mean 
you know, and we saw what happened. So that that's so yeah, no, but but this is just asinine. I mean, like I said, it wasn't it wasn't that Amanda was better. It was just Juliana made mistakes. That's really what it all was. It wasn't that Amanda was better. It was just Juliana made mistakes. And this fight just furthermore proves that the first fight was not a fluke because it took Amanda 25 minutes to beat Juliana. It only took Juliana two rounds. That in itself proves that the first fight was not a fluke. Amanda has been known to get tired in the early portions of the fight, and Amanda has no has been known to show fatigue in the later portions of the fight, a la Jermaine Durand Jermaine Durandame and this fight. Um it absolutely I mean it's but this is the this is a clear example of the mindset of people after this fight. You know, everyone's an Amanda Nunes dick rider. They're they're riding on her coattails and they're trying to say that this fight was a dominance and you know she had a perfect game plan. This was not a perfect game plan. I mean, th this was not a perfect game plan. I mean, she had a game plan. This was not a perfect game plan. And it was not dominance. I've always said, if you, to dominate a fight, your you have to take zero damage and your opponent cannot be able to catch you in anything in the process. You have to inflict all the damage while taking absolutely zero damage, you know? And Amanda took a lot of damage. I mean, like I said... Amanda's face was swollen and beat up, you know, by the end of the fight, you know, but the only reason people refuse to acknowledge that is because she won and Juliana's face was more bloody. You know, when people there, there is a, one of the things like people, one of the things you have to understand is, is when there, there's a clear bias, whenever, whenever a fighter starts to bleed, there's always this clear bias that, oh, that fighter's more beat up than the other guy, even though it, it's is the exact opposite. Perfect example would be the Diaz brothers and their fights. Um, Frankie Edgar is another example, you know, but everybody, and this is something just in the fight world period. You know, a lot of people have this idea that if you're bloody, you're taking more damage than the other guy, even though you could, even though that guy's face could be blown up like a balloon, people will say you're getting the worst of it because you're bleeding. And that's not true, you know, and, and that's not true. And we've, and we've, there's tons of fights, boxing, kickboxing, Muay Thai, MMA, that will tell you otherwise. So it's absolutely asinine to say that this was a dominant fight for Amanda. I think it was a tough fight for Amanda. And I think, and I think, and honestly, it's not even that I think, I know that a lot of people are saying that, you know, it's, it was a, and a lot of people, and the, one of the reasons why a lot of people are jumping on the bandwagon of this was a dominant fight and, you know, Juliana doesn't deserve a third fight is because, let's face it, their, their queen was made human. You know, there's that old saying, if you make God bleed, people will cease to believe in him. And that's what Juliana did. She made the queen bleed. She made the queen human. Not once, but twice. And right now, you have a lot of fans who are, honestly, I, if, if I honestly believe are just as delusional as Connor fans. 
believe who are so they're, they're so wrapped up in this belief that Amanda is this unstoppable force and every fight is just a proof that she's that she's dominant and her technique is impeccable her style is her style is her style is has no weaknesses you know what you know her her style is impeccable her skills are unmatched her technique is flawless they're, they're so caught up in the delusion and the sensationalism of it all that any moment where she looks human, they got to come up with 20 different excuses. They can't accept that their queen was made, was their queen bled. They can't accept that their queen was weak, not once, but twice. Despite the sec, the results of the second fight. Juliana made the queen bleed. She made the queen look like an average Joe. And, you know, and, and you have to also think, too, and if you're a contender, if you're a rising contender, you're licking your chops right now. Every fighter in 135 is probably, and who knows, maybe even 145, is licking their chops right now, thinking, she's human, I can beat her. You know, I, I can beat her. She's human. Oh, look, yeah, exactly. But once again, the the takedown defense wasn't the issue, as some people would say. Or, you know, and Amanda's takedowns aren't good either. Like, Amanda doesn't have the best takedowns. Her takedowns have zero setup. They're very predictable. The reason why she gets away with it is because, you know, opponents... You know, they, they tend to overextend because they start to see her fatigue. She's not throwing a lot of punches. So they're just like, okay, this is the time to get her, which is true. But you can't, but you have to, but you can't overextend. You have to stay within your range. That's how Juliana beat her the first time was she stayed within her range. And, you know, she was, and Amanda couldn't just blitz her with the takedown like she would. You, like she would have, you know, that's why she, that's why she wasn't able to really take her down to save her from the exchange, you know, um, because Julie, because Juliana stayed within her range. This fight, Juliana didn't really stay within her range. And, you know, a lot of that was due to the fact that she had every intention to finish the fight. She wasn't looking to point fight. She was looking to finish, you know, that's what the, that's the reason why. And, and also to say that Juliana couldn't figure out how to get past the, the, the lead right hand is asinine. She figured out how to get past the lead right hand. And she was she began landing she began landing clean shots on Amanda. You know, despite having difficulty with with the Southpaw, she actually managed to figure it out and pick her apart. And the she actually managed to figure it out and start to pick her apart, you know? And, and that's all it was. It was just, she just made some, ta she actually managed to figure it out and pick her apart. It's just, she made some tactical errors. She, she tried, she tend, she just made some tactical errors. She began to overextend herself you know, and charge right in instead of just staying within her range and, you know, instead of just staying within her range and letting the finish come to her, she tried to, you know, get in there real, she tried to, you know, force it, she tried to force it to happen, which, you know, it, it screwed her up, which, you know, that's where she screwed up, but, and which of course screwed her up. And that was the problem because you would see it. She would start to land. She would start to catch Amanda. Amanda's head would cock back. She would, 
you know, she would, Amanda's head would cock back and you, you know, she would see, she would, you know, she would start to land. She'd start to tag Amanda. You see Amanda's head cock back. You see Amanda, you know, having, you know, she's starting just to come to the pressure and then Juliana would then blitz, you know, because she sees the opportunity, but the, but it, but the problem was, is she was taking it too soon. There's a time and a place for everything. And the opportunity to really put it on Amanda was she was, you know, was too soon in those moments. She should have stayed within her range and kept, you know, throwing those shots, picking her apart and throwing those shots and then charge at Amanda when the time was right. And that was and that's all it was. It was just tactical errors that Juliana made. It wasn't her striking wasn't that bad. You know, and the thing is, too, Amanda's not the best striker out there. The only reason people say she's a great striker is because of her power. But having power doesn't make you the most technically sound striker. Doesn't make you the best striker. It makes you one of the hardest hitters, but it doesn't make you the best striker. Okay, you know, I mean... You know, so, but yeah, Amanda, but yeah, this this was not a one-sided affair. Anybody believes that is a total moron. This fight was very close. It was very good. And I mean, it was way more closer than people actually are making it out to be. The scorecards don't reflect the fight and the narrative people are portraying does not reflect the fight. I mean, Amanda's face is, is you don't even need to break down the fight itself just look at amanda's face post fight she was in a dog fight her fight her face clearly shows that this was not an easy fight for her and she in no way shape or form dominated but you know but this is the type of sensationalism and just absolute dick riding coming from you know mma from a lot of from a lot of fans right now and particularly people like the fucking weasel who just you know this is just totally biased and and once again and once again and the thing is, is i've said this before i had a conversation with somebody people who say like oh that guy's tough that's just a cheap way of saying oh well i don't want to admit that they I don't want to admit they're good. Saying saying somebody's tough is a cop-out used by people who either don't want to admit somebody's that good or they don't want to admit this or 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 they they don't want to admit that somebody's that good or that bad. That's pretty much why. Like and in this situation and in and in Juliana's case, no one wants to admit that Juliana is that damn good. The fact that she came that close, the fact that she was holding her own on the feet, and the fact that she managed to, because most fighters would have given up. After being knocked down as many times, most fighters would have given up. The fact that she managed to hold her own on the feet, land some significant shots, almost catch Amanda in multiple submissions, it, it's just, it, it was absolutely, it was crazy. Um, I've now I've said it before, I don't think Amanda is the greatest female of all time. I don't consider, I consider, I think she's, I don't think she's the greatest female fighter of all time. I think that's just the UFC talking. I do think she does deserve to be considered an all-time great due to accomplishments, um, you know, due to accomplishments, but I don't think she's the very best, and I don't think she's the greatest female of all time, but um, without a doubt, she, she is a absolute, I mean, but, you know, it's, I mean, but kudos to her for getting her win. I mean, and that's what it is. But that, but that's all it was. But once again, this wasn't really because Amanda was better. It was mostly just Juliana made errors. You know, Juliana made errors. She kept overextending herself. Every time she would start getting the better of something, she would 
overextend instead of, you know, taking her time and, you know, setting it up instead of taking her time and setting it up. She would just, you know, as soon as she saw an opportunity, she would jump for it. And like I said, there's a time and a place for everything. And even though, yes, you may be, you may have, you may be getting this, getting close. Yes. You may have this submission or yes, you may, you know, or you may be getting landing some shots or you may be tagging this guy. You never want to, you, you always want to be careful because you know, if you take the opportunity too early, it could cost you the fight. If you take it too late, it could cost you the fight. So you have to you it's so you have to make sure so you have to pretty much make sure that when you go for something, it's at that right moment. And that and that was all the problem. Is just she she and that was really and that was just Juliana's problem is she kept overextending. That's all it was. She just kept overextending herself. She would start to get the better. She would start to get the better of the stand-up. And then she would start to close. She would start to charge in. And, you know, she would start to charge in. And Amanda would catch her. And then, you know, Amanda would end up catching her. You know, it was kind of the same thing with, you know, the, you know, the submissions. She kind of overextended with those triangles a little bit. And, you know, she would over, she kind of overextended with those triangles a little bit to where, you know, where it was like, ugh, where, you know, she almost had it, but she was just, she was overextending, you know, and that's all it was, you know, I mean, she was, she was over, she was overextending instead of, you know, fighting within that, instead of fighting within her range and taking her time, she just kind of was, she was kind of, she would always be, she was always, she was, she was always in such a rush to kind of close the fight instead of letting the instead of letting the fight come to her, instead of letting the finish come to her, she would try to, she would try to force the finish. And that was her mistake. And, and a lot of that was due to the fact that she wanted to finish the fight you know that that's all it really was is, and there's nothing wrong with that it was just you know you can't force the finish you gotta let the finish come to you i mean you could depending on the circumstances but in a situation where you know amanda is looking to counter punch because that's how she thrives in her striking endeavors is you know counter punching you know unless she knows that you unless you unless she knows that you have zero threat on the feet like for instance like ronda rousey then she's all then she's all game she'll sit there and just charge right at you but you know but if you she'll sit there and charge right at you but if she knows that you have at least good enough striking she will sit back and counter punch because that she can't she like once again she's not a technical striker she can't figure it out she she can't figure it out she relies on her power and athleticism and when she can't do that when she's put in a position to figure it out she has issues you know and that and that's pretty much what it is i mean like I said, it was just tactical errors made by Juliana. She just kept overextending, you know, when she was on the feet, which allowed Amanda to counterpunch her. But it wasn't. But it wasn't because Amanda. Th th once again, this wasn't. Doesn't prove that Amanda's better, you know. It, it this doesn't necessarily prove Amanda's better, and it doesn't prove that Amanda dominated, you know. It's just it's it's the fact that we're trying to sit there and the fact that we're trying to sit there and like play this game of what's a better like w like we're trying to sit there on on what it, it, the fact that we're trying to sit there and you know the fact that people are trying to sit there and like weigh in what finishes are more 
more legit than the other is absolutely asinine. Okay, a finish is a finish. And if someone I and a finish is a finish and someone is someone damn near catching you in a submission is the equivalent to someone almost knocking you out. There's no there there's no no neither one is higher than the other. All right? Any any martial artist will tell you that. A finish is a finish. No type of finish is higher than the other. That's like saying any style or martial art technique is higher than the other. This is this is shit that Bruce Lee's talked about numerous of times. It's it's asinine. It's it's absolutely asinine. Damn near catching somebody in submissions is the equivalent to damn near catching somebody almost knocking somebody out. I don't care who you are. And if you actually think that they are, you're you're an idiot. Like I would you you're you're an absolute idiot. <laughs> you're you're an idiot. Okay? And yeah, so but yeah, th this is the weasel, everyone. This is the weasel. This is the weasel and his retardation. And just like every other fan who can't accept that their queen you know, they can't accept that their queen was made human. They, they, they're so caught up in, they, they'd rather, they're, they can't accept that their, their queen was made human, that they're doubling down in their delusion even more. And now they're entertaining a fight with Valentina. Be in mind, everybody, including retarded ass weasel said, there's no point in having a Valentina fight. Amanda beat her twice. But now she's entertained. Now they're entertaining it. And the reason why is because that was a that was that fight, you know, in the last time they fought, Amanda didn't take a lot of damage in the last fight. That's the reason why. Amanda didn't take a lot of damage. So and that that's the that's the reason why. Amanda didn't take a lot of damage in that last fight, which is why Dana's entertaining that fight more. Because Amanda didn't take a lot of damage. She didn't take a lot of damage, so there, you know, she she didn't take a lot of damage against Valentina. She knows that Juliana is a tough fight, you know, like we've talked about before. Bigger fights are not the same as the tougher fights, and Amanda, you know, and Juliana, and Juliana is a tough fight, and they don't want that. So of course they're gonna go with Valentina, even though Valentina is a tough fight too. So I mean, but yeah, this is this is, but this is like. You know, and I, and I thought Connor fans were bad. That's the thing. Like I thought Connor fans were bad. Like Connor fans are pretty delusional, but Amanda Nunes fans are like, like they make Connor fans look sane because the amount of delusion that people have that Amanda just came out and dominated and Juliana couldn't do jack shit to her through from round one to five. And the fact that they're using the scorecards Thinking that the scorecards reflect the fight is is absolutely retarded. The scorecards don't reflect the fight. You don't believe me? Go watch Lawler versus Rory McDonald 2 and then Robbie Lawler versus Johnny Hendricks 2. Exactly. So don't sit here and tell me the scorecards reflect the fight. Asinine. Absolutely asinine. You can't you can't use that as an argument. You can't use that. It's just you can't you okay, I'll even do you one better. Meldrick Taylor, Julio Cesar Chavez. Okay, the scorecards had Meldrick Taylor winning. But if you ask anybody watching that fight, you even ask the ref, Chavez was busting Meldrick Taylor up. Okay? Meldrick Taylor was getting busted up. Okay? And even the ref in a documentary interviewed about it said he was landing shots that would break bone. 
okay? Shots that would make, that sounded like thunder. And there, you know, people, people just, there was a lot of people who couldn't see it because they were so enamored with the flash, you know, and that's the case here with Amanda Nunes and Juliana Pena is people are, were so enamored with the flash, you know, Amanda getting those knockdowns that they couldn't see all the strikes that Juliana was landing. They couldn't see all the strikes that Juliana was landing on the ground. They couldn't see all the close submissions. They couldn't see that Amanda was weakening as the fight went on. You know, they, they couldn't see that that Amanda was actually not getting the better of the stand-up anymore and started going into the realm where Juliana was strong out of desperation, out of desperation, fatigue, and frustration. But they couldn't see that because, once again, everybody's so enamored with Amanda Nunes and they're so locked in and that Amanda, like they're so, they're, 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 they are gargling the balls of Amanda Nunes so bad. It's just, it's unbelievable. I mean, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, <laughs> the weasel ESPN, the commentators, it's just, uh, I mean, but yeah. And, 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 and one thing I want to point out, to say that Juliana has no skill, this was said by MMA guru, okay? To say that Juliana has no skill, you're pretty much saying that Amanda has no skill because the opponents you face are, is a reflection of your level of skill. And that, that's absolutely true, you know? The opponents you face is a reflection of your skill. Sean O'Malley is a perfect example of that, you know? He was fighting tomato cans, and, you know, he then he fought Chito Vera, and we realized he wasn't as good as everyone pumped him up to be, you know. And there's a lot of other examples of that, but, you know, but to say that, but, but to say that Juliana Pena has no skill, well, then you might as well just say Amanda Nunes has no skill, because the opponents you face, because the opponents you fight, the opponents that you fight is a reflection of how good you are. This was something that was very irritating when people would were talking shit on Jorge Masvidal when he fought Kamara Usman. You know, people were saying, oh, Jorge Masvidal's trash, he's not that good, blah, 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 blah. Okay, well, then you're pretty much saying that Kamara Usman isn't that good because if, if, if you know, the Kamara Usman is the, isn't that good due to the fact that the level of competition reflects your level of skill. So you're saying that Kamara Usman isn't good. So you're pretty much questioning his status as being known as one of the greatest welterweights of all time. And that's pretty much what everybody else is saying. You're questioning. So by saying Juliana has no skill, you're pretty much saying that, you know, Amanda isn't really the greatest, isn't one, isn't an all-time great and isn't the best in the world because she's not fighting the best. She's fighting opponents that aren't skilled. So therefore, she's not skilled. You see, you see what I'm saying? Like exactly. But, but you see, but once again, this is the type of delusion that people have. You know, th this is the type of delusion that people have. And this was kind of the problem with this was the problem with Ronda Rousey back in the day, where everyone was so caught up in the delusion, you know, that no one really bothered to think. Okay, well, maybe she wasn't that good because if you look at her competition, you know. But but you see, but you see, but th this is my point. But once this was the problem. But like I said, this was the problem with Ronda Rousey. You know, this was the problem with a lot of fighters. You know, a lot of people who get behind fighters and. It's just, <laughs> it, it, but yeah, it, but if you believe it, to say Juliana Pena has no skill, you're retarded. To land the shots 
that Juliana was able to land, despite being knocked down multiple times, she was still able to land effect, clean, effective punches, is skill. Takes skill. The fact that she managed to catch her, almost catch her in two arm bars, takes skill. The fact that she managed to almost catch her in triangles and omoplatas, and even was, I mean, you know, I mean, she was, I mean, it looked like that, that Kimura was deep from the way, you know, Amanda was reacting. It looked like that Kimura was deep, you know, that takes skill. I mean, it, it takes freaking skill. So it's absolutely asinine to say that. So, so it's absolutely asinine, asinine to say that Amanda has, that Juliana has no skill. Cause pretty much you're saying that you're go, that you're, that you're, um, that, that your goat has no skill as well because you're pretty much saying that your goat has no skill and doesn't deserve to be considered a, an all-time great. So, yeah, th this is... <laughs> and, and what's crazy is, is like, what are people going to say if Amanda loses again? Let, let, let's speculate. If, if, Amanda w w if Amanda were to lose her belt again to whoever, whether it be the next contender, Valentina, or even a trilogy fight with Juliana... We're just speculating. What's the excuse people are going to make? You can't make the same excuse of, oh, she didn't have the fire. She was injured. She wasn't herself. You can't make those excuses again because you've already made those excuses before. What's the excuse now? You can't, you can't make those same excuses again. You've already made those excuses before. You can't, you can't, you've already, you can't make those excuses again. You've already made those excuses before. So what's your excuse now? And if you try to make those excuses again, guess what? You're just going to be seen as a delusional fanboy. Exactly. You're going to be seen as one of those. You're going to be seen the same way a Conor McGregor nut hugger is seen. You know, a delusional fan who doesn't know shit about fighting. Exactly. It's the, it's the same thing. You're going to have to. You're, you're going to have no choice. You, you ha you're going to have to give the flowers to the. You're going to have to give the flowers to the person who beats her, you know, if she were to lose to her next opponent. And not only that, you would have to give the flowers to Juliana Pena because, you know, hey, Juliana Pena beat her as well. When when Amanda was on top, you're, you're going to have to give her opponent her flowers. And not only that, you're going to have to give... You're going to have to give Juliana her flowers as well, because guess what? Juliana Pena beat Amanda when she was on top as well. You know, you're going to have to give Juliana her flowers if she were to lose because Amanda's at the top. And if someone were to beat her, if she were to lose her belt again, guess what? You, you're going to have to give credit to Juliana too. Why? Because she beat Amanda when Amanda was on top. And you can't use the same excuses again. Because how you can't use the same excuses again, because she lost. This, because you can't use the same excuses again. Why? Because she lost. She lost. She lost while being the top dog. She didn't lose when she was out of her prime. She didn't lose when she was on the come up. She lost when she was on the top dog. When she was the top dog. So you can't use those excuses, and you're gonna have no choice but to give both that opponent and Juliana their flowers because Juliana beat. Because Juliana beat, you know, Amanda Nunes when she was at the top, and that's and that's the thing that, you know, and that's also the thing that a lot of, 
a lot of Amanda Nunes nut huggers, the UFC, and just every typical casual is fearing right now, you know, and all the little ESPN analysts, that's what they fear right now. That's why they're not entertaining a trilogy fight. You know, that's why all of a sudden now they're entertaining a Valentina Shevchenko fight. Because if Amanda were to lose her next fight, guess what? You're going to have to give Juliana her flowers because Juliana did the same thing. She beat Amanda when Amanda was in her prime. You can't, you know, and you can't use the same excuses again. You, you can't use the same excuses again because otherwise you're just going to confirm what me and a lot of people have. And a lot of people have been saying that you're a delusional fanboy. There it is. So, wait, you know, you see, but of course we have to be honest here. MMA fans, particularly casuals are very, you know, they, 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 they will fight tooth and nail to protect their delusion. So, you know, I mean, you know, even if, even if they have no choice, they, they, they are still, they'd rather die than admit that they're a delusional fanboy, you know? So, yeah, I mean, but so we'll listen to another, so let me see. So Jesse on fire gave his, his opinion. And in his video, he says, the fight was way closer than we thought. So let's hear his opinion on it. He tends to ramble. So bear, so kind of bear with me. Two pre-owned vehicles. Same make, same model, same mileage. But it's what you can't... This is basically the dialogue that I was having while at the stadium watching that fight. It was like this, okay? So you take the first round. In the first round... Amanda knocked down uh, Pena twice, right? I think she knocked her down twice in the first round, three times in the second round. So by any objective measure, that is a very successful round for Amanda, right? Two knockdowns, very dominant, didn't take any serious damage. You know, she got hit with a couple shots, but like nothing, nothing serious, right? So like to an untrained eye who doesn't understand the game planning side of that fight and like what the, and, and really for real understanding the the matchup of of skills and how you know like like how everyone always says styles make fights styles make fights styles make fights and what that means is how does this weakness match up against this strength how does this strength make you know where where are these fighters vulnerable and how does that match up to the strengths of the other person okay and so at first glance amanda knocked down knocked her down twice and Juliana Pena looks like she's in trouble, right? Like if you just if you don't know what you're looking at, that's what it looks like. Here's the thing though. The first round was a wild success for Juliana Pena. And the reason I could say that is because I know what her game plan was. And as soon as I say it, you're going to also know. Because what we all know. Everybody knows. What was Juliana Pena's game plan? What, I mean, was it was it to uh, stand in the in the pocket and bang with Amanda Nunes and just try to shock the world with like a you know a front kick to the chin? Of course not. Everyone knows she was going to make her work and make her tired, grind through her gas tank. That's where she believed that Amanda was vulnerable in the first fight, and she proved that in the first fight she was vulnerable there. She made Amanda expend all of her energy. She ran out of gas. She had nothing left to the point where she tapped to a submission that was not even locked in. She had no hooks, no nothing. She just like, Amanda was, she tapped to exhaustion for all intents and purposes, right? And so Juliana Pena is fighting the same fight. 
because Amanda Nunes is not like that fight was not the first time she'd shown being vulnerable to gassing out, you know? So Pena's going out there. She's like, I'm just going to impose will on her. Her entire goal with the first round is not to land more punches than Amanda. It's not to take Amanda down. It's not to do none of that. Her goal for the first round is to make Amanda work. It's, it's to drain the gas tank. That's it. Like that is all she wants. And so while, on the scorecard, Amanda won, and she did win. That's a successful round for Amanda, but it's also a successful round for Juliana. And that's what I was explaining. I'm like, look, dude, that that's like, you know, on the if, if it goes five rounds, and sure, great, Amanda won that round. But Juliana won that round also because she made her work, right? She made her work. And so the second round comes around, and Amanda knocks around three times, clearly a 10-8 round, right? Clearly a 10-8 round, dominant. 10-8 round. However, Juliana made her work a lot in that round also. And so per per the goals of each fighter, even though one and two look like completely dominant victories for Amanda, they were on Amanda's scorecard. And on Juliana's scorecard, they were also wins because she's making her work. Now, the thing that the thing that Juliana couldn't control is she can't control what Amanda's starting out gas tank is. You know, if Amanda's gas tank is double what it was in the first fight, then she's going to have a really hard time making her work through all of that, all of those energy reserves, right? Which is what she seemed, that's, which is what she ended up being up against. Well, two things. She ended up being up against a, a bigger gas tank, and she really ended up against a fighter who was exclusively, or, or certainly top priority was, was saving as much energy as possible. She was not going to try to go run through her like she did in the first fight. That's how she got in trouble. She was going to take her time. She was not going to expend energy. She was, she knew exactly what Juliana Pena was doing. Exactly, like I, I, we just talked about this the other day about the importance of game planning. You want to see the importance of game planning? Like you want to see exactly what it looks like? Right there. Right there. That is the definition of knowing your opponent and then working your game plan around the strengths and weaknesses of that opponent, figuring out what they are going to do, preparing for it, and then being better. Amanda knew that what she was going to try to do to her was make her tired, make her work, make her tired, and, and go through her gas. And you saw she fought an incredibly controlled, measured, and disciplined fight. The most disciplined fight I've ever seen her fight. You know, because, I mean, she like, I mean, dude, she knocked her down five times in the first two rounds and not once. Not once did she dive on her and go try to knock her out. She had her on, uh, you know, on on squiggle legs too one time. And she still didn't go after. Her. She she was going to retain her energy for at all costs. And I will I will address that also though, because I think there might be another reason why she did that. Now at this point, if you're watching and you're saying, hey, I heard Jesse say this in his live stream earlier. I did say some of this in the live stream. But I said it 40 minutes into an hour and a half live stream, which is completely unacceptable. These these like. You know, sometimes like, like I, you know, I've, I've been doing this for a while. I know when I have like good points to make, like I, I know, or, or I have valuable input to add to like the broader analysis of a fight. Like I know when I have like something that's actually valuable, which, you know, my opinion, I mean, like, I haven't heard anybody else talking about this really. So it just sitting in the middle of an hour and a half live stream, no one's going to see it. But also I have some other stuff to talk about in, that you haven't heard on there anyway. But also, I'll make it more entertaining now, so just stick with it. So anyway, so you go into the third round, right? And 
Amanda's well up, but was I, I just kept saying, I'm like, this is a way closer fight than people think. This is way closer. Because, again, if Amanda runs out of gas, Juliana's going to win. Juliana is not gassed at all. She's hurt. She got hurt, but she's fine, dude. She doesn't look rattled. You look in her eyes. She's, she has not started. She's not doubting herself even a little bit. But Amanda then, then Amanda goes into her guard. And she, you know, kind of, I mean, you know, she's in top position. I wouldn't even necessarily call it a dominant position because Juliana was attacking from the bottom the entire time. The entire time. The, the only way that you could have been watching that fight, if you, like this, so let's say you were, let's say you had Amanda, Amanda by, you know, like, and you had the over two and a half or whatever, right? Like, so you're rooting for Amanda, you know, into the third, you know, third, fourth, fifth rounds, right? The only way that you could have been calmly watching that and not be nervous is if you don't know anything about jujitsu. Because she was on top, but she was she was being very seriously threatened all the time. Like, all the time. She was never laying there without Juliana trying to work on something. And, like, work towards things that she almost got. The closest one was that armbar. Like, you know, when she, was, when she rolled over, you know, that the, uh, she had the armbar with her stomach down. That was, that was pretty close. But, uh, but Amanda did a good job defending. But, like, but nonetheless, there was never a moment in that fight where Amanda had cleared her out, right? Like, where the, there's no danger left. You don't need to be concerned about it. And if you look at a 50-43, right? Yeah, like, this is my point. You look at a 50-43 fight uh, scorecard, which I will agree with. I, I don't know. I mean, I would say probably – I would probably go 50-44. I'll probably give the, I mean, certainly a 10-8 round in the second round, but I don't think so in the first round. So I would go, I would go 50-44. But, so 50-44, okay? When you got a 50-44, you know, scorecard, under normal turns, going into the fifth round, you are not concerned. Like, it's like, this is, this is basically a formality at this point. This is complete dominance. You got a 10-8 round and then three 10-9s, like, you're good, right? And that was not the case in this fight. This is a way closer fight than it looked like. That's why when people started saying they're all, dude, they should run it back. I'm like, dude, I, I agree. Because I'll say this. I will say this right now. Amanda was incredible last night. Incredible. Fought an incredible fight. And I'll get into that in a second. But if Amanda came into a rematch with Juliana and was not in prime shape, she will fucking lose to her. I will say that right now. If she comes in with, and not in prime shape, Juliana will beat her. She just got, you know, she just beat her five straight rounds, 10-8 rounds, arguably two 10-8 rounds. She'll lose to Juliana if she's not in prime cardiovascular shape. Because Juliana's going to make her work. Like, she's going to make her work. And she has a... <laughs> the chin on that girl, dude. But anyway, so... Yeah. So they could run it back. So here's the thing I wanted to talk about also about how Amanda fought the fight, though. So... I did, a, I did a reel about this, too, because I was just so uh, so impressed with Amanda, but I want that she starches Juliana in the first round, right? So she comes out in the first round, she lands a clean shot, then a head kick. Night of statements for Amanda Nunes, and I'm not saying... All right, exactly. So he's kind of, like, rambling a little bit, like... 
you started getting to a little ramble, but um, but yeah, that that's pretty much the whole point. I mean, yeah, it was a very very close fight and a trilogy fight. It makes a whole lot of sense and. I wouldn't be mad at a trilogy fight. A trilogy fight is not a bad thing to entertain. It was a very, very close fight. And Juliana had a lot of big moments. And so did Amanda. It was a very, very even fight where both fighters had moments where they almost stopped each other. So, I mean, the the, the, the arguments and things that people are saying is just absolute asinine. So now, we are going to go to this next one of and this is MMA on point another channel that I'm not really fond of because they say a lot of biased and a lot of unhistorical things but I'm gonna listen to them because one of their videos brought up a very good point let me see if I can find it uh, let's see On point. I don't know why the video didn't save on my feed. But alright, here we go. Time for a change. Does the UFC have a commentary problem? Um, I think they just have an all-around problem, period. You know, I think they have a very big sensational problem. I think they have a commentary problem and an analyst problem all around. So, uh, we'll, we'll hear what MMA On Point has to say. When you have auto glass damage, trust SafeLight. In one easy appointment, we can replace your windshield and recalibrate your advanced safety system. That's great, thanks. Stay safe with Safe Light. Schedule now. Safe Light Repair, Safe Light Replace. Bring the day to life. Is it me, or is the quality or lack thereof of the UFC commentary teams a constant topic online now? It seems like after every card, there's some new controversy. They completely misunderstood the scoring criteria. They were too biased towards a particular fighter the whole time. They didn't understand the rules, the rules of the sport that they're calling. Too much time spent goofing around, not enough preparation put into the broadcast, false narratives, misunderstandings about even the most basic ideas in the sport. Do we have a problem here? Like fighting Kamar Usman at welterweight? Are things really that bad? Bad. With the quality of the broadcast team being so popular a discussion, I wanted to throw my hat in the ring, as it were, to talk about whether I'm seeing these issues myself, why this seems to be such a persistent topic of discussion lately, and the reality of the situation. I'm Tommy from MMA On Point, and I'm wondering, does the UFC have a commentary problem? Okay, even though the intro used very broad strokes about the entire broadcast team, which consists of dozens of different talents, we all know who we're actually here to talk about. Because when we talk about criticism of the commentary teams for the UFC, we're largely talking about two figures, Joe Rogan and Daniel Cormier, without question. They are the two commentators that received the most flack for any number of reasons. Their perceived bias, their lack of prep for the events, their tendency to get off topic or a bit silly, the quote, JRE moments, if you will, their personalities, and as we'll discuss, factors outside of their work on Fight Night. But while a Michael Bisping or Dominic Cruz may occasionally have a gaffe that fans decide to jump on, or analysts might find some criticism about their lack of understanding about how a fight was scored, it's just not on the scale of Rogan and DC, and certainly not as frequently. It feels like as soon as the broadcast starts and those two are introduced, a pessimism among the hardcore fan base can be felt on social media. Like, oh, here we go again. These two 
two guys. Let's see how they screw this one up tonight. And that sentiment is more prevalent than I can ever remember it being in the past. But why? Where is this hate coming from? Why has this become such a hot-button issue within the sport? I mean, I'm doing a damn video essay about it, so what's brought on these narratives? I think there's a lot of different factors here, a lot going on, and one of the things really playing into this is the fact that there are so many other talented people working in the sport right now. Rogan and DC, they're the established talent now, and there are members of the broadcast team that we want to see succeed. We want to see get their shine. Laura Sanko has a large vocal fan push for her to be a part of the commentary team on fight nights. Many hardcore fans would like to see more Paul Felder, as they appreciate his more subdued style in comparison to the bombastic Cormier. Here's the thing. Laura Sanko is hired as an analyst for the UFC event, but she is not that good. Um, I've listened to her breakdown fights. She sucks at her job. A lot of the people that are campaigning, I've ne I haven't seen anybody campaign for her to be on the main broadcast team. Um nor have I heard anything of it, but if they are, they're clearly casuals because she has terrible, terrible commentary. Um, Paul Felder is pretty good. He, he's, he's got a good head on his shoulders. Um, he, he's, you know, Paul Felder's got a good head on his shoulders. I mean, sometimes he gets a little biased, but he's still growing in the scene. You know, he's still growing and he's kind of finding his voice on the broadcast team but he has a very mellow but listening to his commentary he does have a very mellow head without a doubt we're aware that the UFC has this abundance of talent on their broadcast teams. So of course we want them to get their chance to be in the spotlight. But the larger audience, the people who aren't catching ESPN Plus fight nights being headlined by fighters they couldn't name, they don't share that connection. They watch pay-per-views, not even all of them, and they know Joe Rogan. They know Daniel Cormier. The memes are everywhere. Their insane reactions have permeated popular culture beyond combat sports. And so those are the expected talents, which isn't to say that they can't or shouldn't mix it up, but it's a hard sell to casual fans. To most people outside our bubble, Joe Rogan is the voice of the sport, and so they expect to hear from him. It's like the first time I played Madden and John Madden wasn't the commentator anymore. What? Who the hell are these other guys? Or if I ever turned on ESPN and there was some hockey coverage. If it wasn't that Barry Melrose guy, I didn't know who the hell was there. They could have swapped out 57 different people. So that expectation is there, and that larger audience doesn't share our love of these underdogs, these incredible broadcast team members that we know are just as talented as anybody covering the sport today and in many cases are likely preferred by the more that's not what it is the problem is it's not just see see but see here's the thing he's trying to see the problem with tommy what problem what tommy is doing is he's trying to boil it down to rogan and cormier but this isn't just rogan and cormier this is the whole broadcast team okay this is the this this is not just them this is the whole broadcast team now it's easy to say that it's them because they are the two main figures but it's the entire broadcast team like the entire broadcast team are saying asinine things like we talked about with Pena versus Amanda Nunes total biased completely asinine statements and yeah and so yeah no it's not just them it's the entire broadcast team our audience Oscar Wilde said every and the hardcore audience are not asking for Laura Sanko and, you know, are, are the, the hardcore the hardcore audience is not asking for Laura Sanko to be a part of to start doing the main commentary. OK, 
I've never heard anybody from the hardcore fan base asking to be a part of, asking for Laura Senko to be a part of the hardcore. Being, I've never heard anybody from the hardcore fan base ask to have Laura Senko be a part of the the main fight commentary. Never. And if they have, people are more than welcome to prove me wrong. Um, Paul Felder would make sense because he actually has a head on his shoulders. But Laura Senko, I mean. Yeah, no, she has proven to have some very biased, asinine statements as well. So, yeah. Everything popular is wrong. And just like the band that went mainstream that you used to love before they hit it big, there's a lot of that feeling, I think, with fans that follow the sport more closely. It's no longer inside baseball to be a fan of Joe Rogan or Daniel Cormier's commentary. We'd rather talk about the other commentator. You've probably never heard of them because... It's the Double Points event going on now at Mathis Brothers. Earn double points on this track arm... As you only watch the pay-per-views, but they're brilliant. Our want for these other really great people to succeed naturally? No, they're not. If you're a hardcore fan, you know they're not. <laughs> plays against the more established crews. And there's a perception that they're working harder, too. Something we can all appreciate. Why does Joe get to just show up on fight night, but all these other commentators are busting their ass all week? It's a natural reaction. And while I do think that's a good part of why so many of the hardcore base prefer the other commentators, there are other reasons, too. One elephant in the room we should get out of the way. A massive bald-headed podcast hosting one who in recent years has become somewhat of a lightning rod for controversy absolutely factors into this discussion. Joe's podcast has become a massive platform and a regular part of the discourse online regarding just about everything happening in the world, especially the United States. As a result, for many people, Rogan is now a divisive figure, more so than ever in the MMA crowd. In the past, Joe was one of those homegrown fight figures. Yeah, sure, he was in comedy and was known from TV, but as this small MMA community, we all felt like Joe was one of us, a member of this group of misfits who loved combat sports. And the rest of the regular world out there, they just didn't get it. But as Rogan and his podcast became more and more popular and a larger part of real-world discussions, some fans have parted ways with Joe, either for his own expressed views or because of his slate of guests. And that's a fairly recent development. I feel like the pandemic was a real turning point for many of the fans who are no longer on the Rogan wagon. But I think it's worth mentioning that he is now this divisive figure because I think that too plays into some of the criticism he receives on his commentary. Not all of it, of course, but there is certainly that sentiment there. And there are fans more so now than in the past who aren't looking at Joe like he's MMA's guy that we need to protect from the larger world. And it would be silly to act as if that doesn't also factor into how they might feel listening to him on commentary or how readily they might have something to say about his contributions. Then there are, of course, their controversial moments, the things they actually do on the broadcast that drive people insane, those fights that infuriated fans. Jan Blachowicz versus Israel Adesanya at UFC 259 is a great example. Just listening to Joe and DC on commentary, you would have thought that Izzy was putting on some kind of clinic on the feet, when in reality, Jan was consistently outstriking the middleweight champion and took every round but one on all three judges' scorecards. At UFC 240, Rogan was criticized for saying that Cyborg looked gassed early in her fight with Felicia Spencer, a narrative he would keep going despite the reality of Chris dominating all three rounds without losing a step. And Joe often does that if he thinks there's an injury or a fighter is gassed. These narratives can oftentimes continue throughout the fight regardless of what is actually happening. DC was 
famously called out by his broadcast partner Dominic Cruz for not doing enough homework before fights, not doing the research, a regular criticism that has been levied at both Cormier and Rogan, who at times seem to be more off-the-cuff ripping during a fight, versus many of the other commentators who appear to have extensive knowledge of each and every fighter on the card. There is no doubt that mistakes are made, narratives are followed that go nowhere, and sometimes their lack of knowledge about the specifics of a situation or a division show through. Truly, there are too many examples to list here in a single video. And on almost any given night, these issues that fans have with Cormier and Rogan pop up in some form or fashion. There's no denying that their commentary isn't perfect. And so, of course, like any job in the public eye, it opens them up to scrutiny and criticism. And there's nothing wrong with wanting the commentary to improve. Of course, we all want the talent to be as good as possible. All that said, though, I think sometimes we need to step back a bit as fans and look at the larger picture. We're sitting here debating the commentary in the sport as if it's some sort of major problem that needs addressed. When things are better than they've ever been, even factoring in everything we just talked about with Joe and DC, this is without a question the best it's ever been. It's not even close. Not even close. I think the phrase an embarrassment of riches absolutely applies here. The UFC broadcast crew is absolutely ridiculous. John Anik should be working in football or basketball, or I guess football outside the US. The point being some big sport. The guy's as good as it gets at his particular job. He could be making huge bucks talking touchdowns with Troy Aikman. I have no doubt in my mind, but he's an MMA guy. He loves combat sports. This is his wheelhouse, and he's the anchor for these broadcasts. The metaphorical anchor. I know you could also call him an anchor in the television sense. You know what I mean. And these analysts are amazing. Ridiculously good. All of them. Dom Cruz apparently treats every fight he's calling like he's preparing for a world title bout. Watching 300 hours of film for the prelims alone. Paul Felder has a beard most of the time. Bisping is delightful. Laura Sanko and Megan O'Levy kill it every show. Brennan Fitzgerald and John Gooden are some of my favorites. And I've not even gotten into your Trevor Whitman or Dean Thomas cameos. Not to mention the host of amazing people working the desk on any given fight night. Could you have even imagined this 10 years ago? We have it so good right now. And as far as DC and Joe are concerned, come on, let's not act like they bring nothing to the table here. Sure, there are things that they could improve on about their commentary. Of course, there's no question about that. It's not as if most of the criticism isn't valid, but their energy, their charisma during those big fight moments, it's nearly impossible to replicate. For me, that's their biggest contribution. When some huge thing is happening in a huge fight, those two can elevate the moment like nobody else in the sport. Those are the guys I want to hear when the big upset happens, when there's an insane finish, when the crowd is absolutely losing it, when I can't believe what I just saw. And that's why people love them. And that is why a lot of people don't care if they didn't watch film this week, Dominic. That's why people can look past their biases, which I genuinely don't believe are on purpose or meant to be malicious. I think they get caught up on an idea, and yeah, I want that to improve too, but it doesn't negate all the positives they bring. There's no doubt that their appeal is largely to a more casual fan. They're not giving you brilliant breakdowns every moment, really calling the action for the educated watcher. Although let's not pretend they're not capable of doing so. Let's not pretend one of the greatest fighters of all time, who's also an Olympian, isn't qualified to talk about MMA as he sees it happening. Forget about needing prep. If DC isn't an expert on takedowns in MMA, then who is? And Joe's been doing this now for so long. He's called more fights than the rest of the broadcast teams combined. Don't look that up. It's probably not true. I was just making a point. Rogan's often said he commentates as if he's talking to a friend who doesn't watch MMA. And so I can see why that wouldn't appeal to a lot of us who watch this sport week in and week out. But there's no denying the excitement that he and DC bring to big moments. Go back and watch Pena versus Nunez again. The craziness of that fight, it's absolutely enhanced by Joe and DC 
being there. It's fantastic. That's where they really shine. John Madden is largely considered to be one of the greatest football commentators of all time. And to me, DC and Joe are John Madden types. Madden didn't get into the weeds of the sport, although he absolutely could. He was an all-time great NFL head coach. He forgot more about football than any fan would ever know, but he treated it as if he was watching the sport with some buddies. He made it entertaining. He loved to use the telestrator for silly stuff. He'd get off topic in the middle of the game, discuss Traducken or some goofy fan or something. And it was great, and people loved it. Sure, he wasn't giving you deep analysis of the game, but I don't think that always has to be the level of expectation on commentary. And the reasons DC and Joe are popular are the same reasons John Madden was so beloved and is still considered by many the gold standard for football. These guys are fun. They make watching sports fun. So sure, there are things that could improve about the commentary for the UFC. No doubt about it. Judging is something that they regularly debate without always even knowing exactly what it is that constitutes the criteria. There are times where they go too hard on a single narrative. Can't get past a certain fighter doing something that they perceive as positive or negative. Sometimes it feels like they're not even watching the same fight as us. But to say the sport is in a bad spot with commentary right now, it's a bit absurd. It's not. It's better than ever. It is so great right now at every single level of the UFC broadcast. We're truly in a golden age. Yes, things can get better, but I think acting like they're bad is way beyond the reality of our current era in commentating. It's never going to be perfect, but it's a long way from bad. And I think if we just step back a bit and really take it in from outside our bubble, that is abundantly clear. Huge shout out to Max Randall. That is not true. The commentary is bad and it's going to get worse. You have to understand, first of all, he's speaking from a casual perspective. He's not speaking from a hardcore fan's perspective. And a lot of a lot of this argument is is the passive aggressive typical, well, you know, the UFC's better than it's ever been, so we can let the bad commentary go. No. The commentary it's going to get bad. Now, he brought up John Madden, but see the thing the thing with John Madden is John Madden understood that there are but see the difference between but see here's the thing and and he brought up John Madden but the thing about John Madden is the difference between John Madden and now is that he understood that there was a casual audience and a hardcore football audience and he always made he always managed to stay balanced he never he never went over the top with one he always knew that there was a hardcore audience and he also has to be true to them the problem with the analysts of today is that they are just completely catering to the casual fan and that's and that's not good because the casual you know the, the, they're completely catering to the casual fan they're not catering to the hardcore fans the people that no one understand and that's why john madden was such a success because he never went to overboard he was always balanced with you know speaking from a hardcore perspective to a casual perspective he always maintained the balance the problem with the ufc comp broadcast team is they're not balanced they're over the top and they're mainly focusing on the casuals and yes you should address the casual audience but you also have to address the hardcore fans uh, hardcore fans as well you can't just create a narrative that completely caters to them you also have to speak you you have to be balanced it's all about being balanced 
you know it's all about being balanced it's always about it's always about being balanced and being and just and being logical and it, it's always it's always about being balanced it's always about being balanced logical and neutral when you are a commentator or an analyst and that is the problem with the UFC broadcast team is they're not balanced they're not neutral they're very biased and they cater more to they're very biased and they cater more toward the casual now i get it they they they're human they will have their biases but ignore but see the but but, but don't do, but don't pretend like you didn't have a bias but you know they should be fair enough to acknowledge that they had a bias and and despite you know but they should be but it, it, let me repeat that yes and they do have a bias they're human but they should be fair and but they should be but they should be truthful to if if i mean if that's the right word what i'm saying is is that they're going to be biased it's without a doubt but they should be willing to acknowledge that they're but they should but they should be fair and be willing to acknowledge their own personal biases they should be willing they should be fair and willing to acknowledge their own personal biases you know and that's the problem is a lot of their biases and their mistakes and the things that they do, they're refusing to acknowledge and refusing to admit to. It's okay to have a bias. You're human, but don't be, but don't be in denial of it. You know, stay, you know, stand by it. And that's the problem is that the UFC broadcast team shows clear bias and they show clear bias and they refuse to acknowledge that bias. And that was the difference between John Madden you know, and that's the difference. And that's the difference between John Madden is John Madden always remained neutral. He was never, he always remained neutral and was willing, he, you know, he was always remained neutral. And if he, and he always, and he was always willing to admit, you know, if, and he, he always remained neutral and he was willing to admit if he had a bias toward a particular team. You know, he never, you know, he never, he, he never shied away from it. He never shied away from it. And he stood by his own personal and he stood by his own bias when it came to certain teams. And it's the same thing with, and that's the problem with the UFC commentary is they're not neutral to be, to, they're not neutral to both sides of the fan spectrum and they're, and they have clear biases and they're not acknowledging those clear biases, you know, and that's the problem with the whole bike broadcast team. So no, it's not better than it's ever been. Yes, they've hired more heads, but just because you've hired more people, just because you've hired more people doesn't suddenly make it better. Just because you hired more people or certain names doesn't doesn't suddenly make it better. And yes, it is going to get worse, you know, because we've been seeing this for a couple, for a lot more fights now. And yeah, it, it's going to get worse with, without a doubt. But yes, but, but, but that's the, but yeah, to compare it, to compare this to like John Madden is a little bit disingenuous because John Madden. Once again, John Madden was always neutral, and if he had a bias, he wasn't afraid to admit it. Where it's like the UFC commentary, you know, they're not neutral, and they they always act 
acting complete denial when called out on their own biases. You know, like I said, I get, you have, it's cool. You know, I get it. You have to acknowledge the casual fan, but you can't be so focused on catering to them that you completely ignore the hardcore fans. And that, and that's the issue. They're not neutral. They're not neutral between both fan bases and they have clear biases that they, that they refuse to admit to, you know, and that's the issue. And yes, it is going to get worse. I don't, it's not going to get better. Once again, he's speaking from a casual perspective and, you know, he's speaking from a casual perspective and, and in that he's speaking from a casual perspective and giving the more passive aggressive, you know, passive aggressive answers to, you know, is there a problem with the commentary team? And there is, it's just, like I said, the problem is, you know, the, 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 pro the problem the problem is, is, you know, people are kind of in the situation where it's like, well, what can you do? It's like, well, what do you do? Well, I mean, it's not necessarily, and I, and I, and I made a post about how they needed to be, how some needed to be fired. I don't think you need to be fired. I just think you need to at least hire someone to kind of be the one to keep, to keep everybody from not going overboard with their own biases or with whatever else, what, or with whatever they're bringing to the table, you know, to keep things neutral, you know, for both the hardcore fan and the casual. And at the same time, you know, keep everybody's, you know, points of view in check when it comes to their own biases and whatever, you know, opinions they have about a fight or something that's going on because that's the problem it's not it's not the com it's not that they suck it's just they have clear biases that they refuse to that they constantly that they refuse to acknowledge and they're not neutral they're constantly catering to the casual fan and that's the issue but yeah so but yeah that this is pretty much but this is just part of my whole you know rant when it comes to juliana pena and amanda nunez i mean you know, because we've, we've been experiencing this and the, the, like I said, and the perfect example of this is Amanda Nunez, Juliana Pena too. Everybody is the whole commentary team, the whole broadcast team showed complete utter bias toward, you know, toward Juliana Pena. They showed complete utter bias when it, you know, they showed complete utter bias toward Juliana Pena. They all of them picked Amanda to win. They hardly ever gave Juliana credit wherein credit should have been given. And they should they showed complete utter bias when it came to Juliana Pena. They gave Juliana zero credit. They they were they praised Amanda like she was the second coming of Jesus Christ. They they hardly ever acknowledged all the things Juliana Pena did. They never once gave Juliana Pena credit where credit is definitely due. And this like and this is a perfect example of what I've been talking about. The delusion that the delusion and sensationalism created by the UFC broadcast team and the Amanda Nunes nut huggers and the casuals, you know, 
you know, and the casuals of the world, you know, you know, they create this narrative and then the casuals fuel this narrative. They create this narrative. They fuel it. The broadcast team creates a narrative. They fuel it. And then all the casuals and hard and fans of hardcore fans of particular of a particular fighter, they start, they start, they start running around, you know, in this huge spreading the blaze. And it's just, it's, it's ridiculous. You know, like I said, this is, this is just a clear example. You know, they had complete bias when it came to, when it came to Amanda and Juliana Pena, they were all for Amanda. They were totally against Juliana. They hardly ever gave Juliana credit where credit was due. And if it was, it was half-assed, you know, it was half-assed or they just gave the typical, you know, they, they just did the typical, you know, passive aggressive answer. They never, wanted to give her credit where credit is due or even give her really real credit for anything. They, it was all Amanda. Amanda, 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 Amanda. Hardly any credit given to Juliana. Hardly any acknowledgement to the things that Juliana did. They, they just, they were all for Amanda. You know, it was all for Amanda. So yes, is the commentary team, is this whole broadcast team, is it going to get worse? Yes, it absolutely is going to get worse. This fight was definite proof of it. I mean, the the other bias when it came to Amanda Nunes and when it came to Amanda Nunes facing Juliana Pena was ridiculous. I mean, no credit to Juliana Pena whatsoever. I mean, and, and just, yeah, <laughs> I know I've been repeating that, but that's the thing that's been, that's, that stuck out in this fight is the utter, the, just the utter biased, the sensationalism and utter delusion that the broadcast team has been creating. And then not only that, the fucking cat that they've been fueling, you know, that they've been fueling. You know, which now is getting all the casuals and Amanda Nunes nut huggers hyped up. And, you know, and it's unfortunate because Juliana Pena fought a hell of a fight, did really well. But this, but the broadcast team refuses to acknowledge it. And that's because of their bias toward Amanda. And that's because of their, their bias, you know, and that's because of their bias point of, points of view when it comes to Amanda. That's all it is. They have a biased point of view when it comes to Amanda. You know, they, it was all Amanda, 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 and that's it. So it, it's just, it, yeah. So no, there, there is a problem with the broadcast team. Absolutely. And it's very, it's every, very evident. This fight was proof of it. You know, the, the, the bias when it came to Amanda Nunes was super duper real. And they gave Juliana zero chance, zero credit. And Amanda's getting all the praise in the world. They're painting a false picture. And like I said, if you're going to have bias, that's fine. But you got to give credit where credit is due. And you, but, and, you, and you can't deny and don't deny that you have a bias. Don't try to play it off like your biased opinion of a fight doesn't have a bias, doesn't have some sort of bias with it. Just be like, yeah, my opinion is a little biased, but that's because, you know, you know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of this fighter or I'm a huge supporter of this fighter. You know, just admit it. Don't don't try to deny it like your biased point of view has some merit to it. You know, it doesn't. And that's the problem. That, that's the problem with the broadcast team.